everybody, this is Andrew Wicklander, the founder of Ideal Project Group, and thanks for joining me on another episode of my podcast. I know I've been on a little bit of a podcasting hiatus lately, so uh, forgive me for that. But I am really excited today uh, because I interviewed Mari Lewingrath, the founder of Foiled Cupcakes, and we talk a bit about uh, social media, why we hate the term social media, um, how she started her business, how she grew it and all sorts of other good stuff. So I'm really uh, thankful that she joined. And also, real quick, uh, the intro music that you heard was Smashing Pumpkins, Tom Tom. Uh, they're working on an epic music project right now. You should check them out at smashingpumpkins.com. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and hand this over to the uh, interview, and I'll be back at the end to just kind of do a little bit of wrap-up on the key things that I took away from the interview with Mark. All right, so uh, welcome to the Project Idealism podcast. Um, I'm really happy today. I'm talking with Mari Lewingrath of Foiled Cupcakes, who just recently has been in Entrepreneur Magazine. Um, she's shown up in Cranes, and she's been in a number of other um, publications, and she's invited around the world, actually, to speak often about social media. Um, so Mari was kind enough to join me on uh, the podcast and uh, is going to talk to us about how she started her business and we'll talk about a bunch of random other things as well. So Mari, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. All right. So and real quick, just for um, people that are listening, Mari and I share an office in Wicker Park. So we'll probably be relatively casual in our banter as we go back and forth, but she has a ton of great information for people. Um, that have either just started a business or are looking to start a business or even have been around for um, for a while. So with that, let's go ahead and get going. Okay. So Foil Cupcakes is just about a year old, right? A little over a year, almost, you know, we'll be a year and a half in like June. Okay, okay. So, so since it's January, that would mean that it's about a, a little year over old. a year. <laughs> A little over a year. I don't know. There's no real, like, start date in my mind because it's been a project that's been, like, sort of on, been on for so long, so I don't really know what to say, like, our start date was. Okay. Okay. So, before we talk about you starting Foiled Cupcakes, Mm -hmm. you actually had another business that you started a little while ago and you sold it, is that right? I had two others that I started and sold and then uh, moved to Chicago, had a kid, got bored, and needed some something to do. And then from that was born Foiled Cupcakes. Correct. Okay. So uh, when you decided to start Foiled Cupcakes, was it based on your like love of cupcakes or you saw a business opportunity and you went for it or you had like a group of people that you were already in with and you knew that there was a thing that you could create that they would be likely to buy or how did you, how did, why cupcakes instead of, you know, uh, Hot Wheels. Lawnmowers. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so the reason I started the cupcake thing, uh, well, a couple of things. First of all, a friend of mine came back from New York, this is like three years ago, and she's like, hey, cupcakes are all over New York, you should do one in Chicago. And I said, okay, maybe. And I just sort of, you know, it was probably more like four and a half years ago. So I just sort of let it set, and I 
I just thought about it, and it was something that was in the back of my mind for maybe like a good year and a half or so. Okay. And then there came a point where um, my son was having a birthday party, and I wanted to order cupcakes. I live in uh, Naperville, so um, I wanted to have cupcakes ordered and delivered to my place in Naperville, but nobody would do it in the city for less than like $120. Like that was the minimum cost I could get for a dozen cupcakes to be delivered to the suburbs. And I was like, hmm, maybe there's an opportunity here. And I started looking at all the other cupcake shops that were offering delivery, and um, it was pretty much the same deal. It was the cupcakes plus courier fees, and I thought there's got to be a way around this. And I, you know, started talking to people, seeing if there was a demand for cupcake delivery, and um, sure enough, we had carved out, based on who we talked to, a little niche of, you know, business owners and offices and, like, just a really interesting group of people who really think that this concept is great. It's primarily like, like I just took an order over the phone for one of our good clients who they just ordered cupcakes for a company um, staff meeting. And so they ordered 10 dozen cupcakes for a staff meeting. Um, another group that really likes us are the um, placement firms. So staffing firms, whenever they place a client, um, they send cupcakes to the company that hired them and they say thank you so much. They send three or four dozen, you know, so gifts are a really big market right, for us right. um, And then just the random people who have heard about us left and right um, that, that they sort of comp comprise the rest of it. Okay, so Before and I'm gonna ask you probably a bunch of questions about the uh, The way that you spread the word about your company and everything, but before we get into that so you went from having this idea of, all right, maybe I'll do this cupcake business thing, I see an opportunity, mm -hmm. and now you're here with, you know, revenue and employees and profit and all that, all that good stuff that comes with having yeah, a business. Yeah, that's all good. Um, so I'm just, like, really uh, fascinated by the actual, like, launching process, right? So, mm -hmm. in part because I think that, like, one of the things that just interests me is, like, how things go from idea to being a reality, right? Right. So, awesome, you have this idea, and then what did you do? Um, the next thing to do was figure out who was gonna buy our cupcakes and what they needed. So, so you did all, you did that before you built a website, or did you? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I did all of that before I even came up with a name for the company. Um, because I was like, well, I need to know who's gonna buy my cupcakes, and I need to know who's going to uh, what, what they want, what do they value, and what do they consider as being the most important part of buying cupcakes. I knew that I didn't want to target people who wanted cupcakes, affordable cupcakes, quote-unquote. I didn't want people who wanted cupcakes that were cheap. I knew I wanted people who would value convenience, who would value the delivery service, people who would value uh, simplicity, but yet options. So, like, so you knew what people, so you knew what people... Uh, or what kind of service you wanted to provide, but you didn't know what those people were yet, or who those um, people were yet. Pretty much, and okay. then I, I knew that, that if for this to work, for this to be profitable, I ran some numbers, and I was like, the only way that this can work is if we sell by the dozen, at a bare minimum. It's okay. the only way that this can work, and it has to be for this price, and it has to be, you know, so doing all that stuff, and it's like, well, who's going to be able to pay around $40 for a dozen cupcakes to be delivered? Who's going to value that? Who's going to think that that's an awesome, awesome service that I need to take part of. And then that's when we started asking people and then we came up with our target markets. Um, and then with that, we were able to put identifiers on our target market. So like we have actually a, uh, I, I probably have a sample, like a picture of, of 
some of the sketches we made on napkins of like Abby Admin. So Abby Admin, she's between, you know, 20 and 35 years old. She shops at J. Crew. She lives in the city. She likes um, to read, you know, InStyle Magazine and Martha Stewart Living. And here are the things that she likes to do. And so from there, we were able to say, okay, so she likes, um, I don't know, let's say she likes to eat at, you know, Panera Bread. So then the concept would be, okay, we want to make sure that we get our product in with Panera Bread somehow because okay. Abby Admin will be there. Right. You know what I mean? So that's sort of how we started um, thinking about how we would market. And then from there, we were able to create a product line that would fit their needs. From there, we were able to create a name and a brand and a vibe to our brand that would fit those needs. Okay. Um, and that is how we started. Okay. Okay. And that was like an eight to ten month process. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And so then once you did that, is that the point at which you did the whole, got your kitchen space and put up a website and all that kind of stuff? Or was there other stuff that happened between those two things? Um, it was at that point that we started concepting. So I got a designer who concepted some logos and did some website work. Um, and then we got that programmed out. And then um, we had some issues with our website because there were some credit card information flying around, apparently, okay. because, you know, someone told me, hey, this is totally illegal, and I'm like, ah, and I freaked out and pulled the website down. So, um, so in, that, in the meantime, um, that was when I hopped onto social media, that's when I hopped onto Twitter, and that I had six weeks to wait until the new website could go live, uh, okay. so I had nothing to do, and so that's where that came into play. But yeah, during that time, we tested recipes. Okay. Um, my actually, my best friend from high school is our executive pastry chef, so she created all the recipes. Right, and she's in out in California. California. Yeah, she's in California. So this is great. Your executive chef for your cupcakes is in California. Yeah. Your kitchen is in Chicago. Right. You can work pretty much from wherever right. you happen to be at a given time. Right. A lot of the people that work for you are able to work from wherever they want. Obviously, the people that are making the cupcakes have to be in the kitchen. Right. But you have, like, a d delivery support people and all that kind of stuff. That yeah, work all with. over the place. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. So, all right, we're going to talk about, I think, what you're probably um, approached about more often than most things, which is the social media, in just a second. But can okay. you talk a little bit about the whole process involved with getting into kitchen space in Chicago and securing permits related to food and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, so um, so I didn't know. I've never started a food business before. Right. So I just started going online. I'm like, what do I need to do? Um, so I needed to first get a food sanitation certificate. Okay. Um, which basically says that I have the capacity to know not to like mix raw chicken with like, you know, prepared foods, right. <laughs> basically. And then they scare the crap out of you and they say, you're going to get botulism and you're going to get shigella, you're going to get all these diseases if you don't do this and you have to wash your hands. I mean, they, it's a week-long intense course. Pass the class. Um, I knew that I had to get it in the city of Chicago. So there are two different kinds. There's one for the city of Chicago and one for the state of Illinois. Okay. If you get yours in the city, then it covers the state. But if you get yours outside of the city, then you have to take a separate one for the state because the city has higher standards, of course. <laughs> so that's, you know, God bless Chicago. Anyway, and then, um, and then after that, I had to apply for a business license, which they rejected because um, we work out of a shared kitchen space. 
And because of that, they said, um, there's already an established business at this location, so you can't get a business license. Then there was a big debacle with the whole city and shared kitchen spaces and the legislation they're trying to pass right now to try to figure out how to make it more amicable for small business owners to right. work in an incubator space. Anyway, that's probably more information than you wanted to know. But, um, but yeah, that's basically all I had to do, and then find the kitchen and start working there. Okay. So, okay. that's it. Great. So, it sounds like for anybody that might be a, um, involved in the government that is watching, listening to this podcast, if you could explain to me why it's more difficult to get a cupcake uh, permit than it is to uh, get an oil rig in the Gulf of Mexico, I would appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> all right, so you get approached pretty often by people to talk about, quote unquote, social media. Which is a term that, by the way, I I, I hate that term. So do I. Because I let's come up with a new one. We should. What are we gonna call I, it? I, I don't know. Ideal media. <laughs> <laughs> well, the reason that I don't like it is because to me, like media, is like almost by definition some sort of like uh, pre-built, pre-arranged like message thing that's being sent to a large audience that right. are trying to like get their like, you know what I'm saying? Like, so like yeah the powers that be at the top of their little like you know right like if I so I was yeah. talking with a friend about it the other day like if, if I had said to you in 1950 come over and look at my car that I bought it's awesome right mm-hmm. that was that's not considered like media right even though it was like Andrew telling his friend about his new car right, right? but now if I do that on Twitter all of a sudden that's like social media right so, we don't need to go down that road, I suppose, of why I don't like calling it social media. But I think that you are a good um, example of how you don't really look at it as media. You look at it as, like, talking to people. And right. the result of that is good things happening with your business, right? So, can you just chat a little bit about how you leverage Twitter and Facebook? And I don't know, now you're yeah. doing things with LinkedIn and yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah, so... Um, so I actually, like I said earlier, hopped onto Twitter, um, because I had six weeks with nothing to do and someone said, Hey, this might be a good idea for you to start marketing your business. And I thought, really? It's so obnoxious and it's (laughs) Facebook status updates on steroids and it's just constant blah. And I was like, no, thank you. So I signed up for an account, and then I I went on for like a day, and I was like, this is so lame. I don't like it at all. Um, And then the six-week, you know, timeout happened, and I was like, oh, maybe I'll check it out. So anyway, um, I actually had a phone call with an old college friend who said, hey, this is how you should... um, you know, leverage social media, Twitter to your advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, the great thing about Twitter is that you can meet people and talk to people you've never met before. Facebook is like a two-way acknowledgement, right? So yeah, if yeah. I friend you, you have to accept. But yeah. like on Twitter, it's like you can pretty much hound anybody you want. And you can accept messages from anybody you want. And you can listen to whoever you want. And you can talk to whoever you want. Yeah. So that in and of itself lends itself to being a much more, um, I guess, fluid conversational environment just for brands to talk to consumers and vice versa. Right. So what I did was I decided, okay, I'm going to target Abby Admin. I'm going to find Abby Admin on 
you know, Twitter and I'm going to see what she's doing and what she's talking about. Maybe my intention at the time was like, maybe as I listen to Abby Adman and see what she's tweeting about, then I'll have better insight as to what cupcakes, right. you know, what, what she values in cupcakes. So that was the initial intent. But then Abby Adman would post interesting stuff like, you know, oh, I just scored tickets to the, you know, Cubs Sox game and I can't wait to go. And then I'd be like, hey, Abby Adman likes baseball. That's cool. And then I'd reply and be like, oh, are you Cubs or Sox fan? And she'd talk back right, to me. Right. And that's sort of how we just got started. We started following those people and then started talking to those people. And probably because they they were excited to be talked to and everyone loves hearing their name, yep. they would talk back. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's exciting when you click your your at replies and you're like, oh, people are talking about me or to me. You know, right. that's exciting. So um, we talked to them. They talked back. We'd have conversations. But before we knew it, like, after six weeks went by, we had, I think, close to 2,000 people who were following us on Twitter. And I didn't even know what the value of that was at the time. Um, but really, it, it was really solidified by the fact that I would actually go to events and meet these people later. And then sure. they would be like, hey... Oh, Android Ideal, I can't believe I'm finally meeting you. I'm so excited to finally meet you. You know what I mean? Right, right. So, so that's pretty much all it was. I yeah. mean, everyone asks, like, what's your secret strategy? And it's, it's like the hard work yep. of talking to people and getting to know them. So I have this issue that I'm assuming that maybe some other people have that maybe you can help us get over. Right? Okay. So. Okay. <laughs> So, you have a lot of issues. Well, right. We don't need to get into all of those <laughs> <laughs> today. Um, but so, I hear what you're saying about, you know, you're not just going and blasting people and saying, hey, do you want to buy some cupcakes, right? Right. Um, and you're, you know, listening to what they have to say that's interesting and all that kind of stuff. But you're aware that sort of part of your goal here is to sell your product, right? To sell your cupcakes. Yeah. So, um... So if I have like a web app or an iPhone app or other people have a web app or they have a service that they provide or whatever, right? Um, what do you say to the person who just feels like by getting into that conversation with the uh, down-the-road intent of helping to sell their product or service, uh -huh. like not feel all like leisure suit salesy guy misusing Twitter in a bad way? You know what I mean? Right. Because so like, I love using it for like following people I'm interested in and learning about things and like hearing about new tools that help me like make websites better or like what's going on in the industries that I care about or whatever, right? Uh -huh. But the moment that I like am reaching out to people, I'm kind of like, oh, I'm being like, I'm sp I feel like I'm spamming people. Right. right? If, unless I know them already. Right. So. See, that's the thing. You just said it. You feel like you're spamming people unless you know them already. Right. So that's like our goal. Like our thing is like we just try to go in with the intent of getting to know people. Okay. And then at that point it's like, you know, you know when you're like your 1950s example of someone talking to their friend. It's like the guy didn't have to get paid by Ford to be like, hey, look at my new Ford, you know? It's like, yep. oh, we're friends and so I have a relationship with you so let me tell you about my new car. Right. You know? Um, so I think like anytime any brand tries to message me or tell me to do something or whatever, yeah, it feels spammy. If I don't know who they are, but if I know who they are, then it doesn't feel spammy. It's like, hey, a friend is inviting you to a party to go and have some cupcakes. Go and have some cupcakes. Cool, you know? Right. Um, <laughs> your right. life will not suck any worse if you eat these cupcakes, you know? It's like yeah. I'm not trying to do anything ill will or anything. 
Right. Um, for people who are like freaked out about trying to feel like to come across too pushy or like wondering if, oh, you know, I don't want to say anything about my service that's awesome and going to benefit people because I don't want to push my awesome product that's going to benefit people on anybody. I don't want to force anybody, you know. I mean, think about it. If your product is awesome and if it's something that people will value, then people want to know about it. You know, so like how is your product going to benefit someone's life or someone's business by being in existence? And when you come, come at it from that approach, then it's not salesy at all. It's more like, hey, you know, hey, I have this thing that I can offer you. Right. Let me see if I can help you, you know, make your life better. Right. Okay. I, so you have somebody, take somebody that has an iPhone app, right? Mm -hmm. There is, you know, however many hundreds of thousands of apps in the app store. Now, right. Right. So you have this app that you think is a great idea that will make somebody's life better. All the things that you talk about, right? Yeah. Your advice to them in terms of just uh, starting to sell, quote unquote, by not selling, mm -hmm. right, is, is what? Just hang out and start talking to people, right, and be interested in them. And well, then, I mean, obviously... Because you're like foiled cupcakes, right? So you have an avatar that's foiled cupcakes, and it's, you know, you've got your website right there and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But if you're, if I'm like an independent iOS developer, mm -hmm. right, maybe I have like a link to my, you know, my blog or right. whatever else, right? So is your, do you recommend people just like don't even... Try to sell, just get to know people, and it'll naturally, organically come out during your conversations? Or is there a certain point at which you're, like, actively trying to sell the people that you have met? Um, okay, so to answer the first part of your question, do I think that it organically, naturally comes out in conversations? Like, totally. Absolutely. Um, if you think about it, so there is a game that I'm totally addicted to on the iPhone, um, Mike in our office and I play it back and forth, words with friends. We are like addicted to the point that like sometimes at three in the morning I'll get a word from him on my phone and I'll play it back. Okay. You know what I mean? We're sickly addicted to it. Words with friends has our own Twitter avatar. I know it's not developed by the words with friends guys. It's developed by some other development company. Yep. Um, but you know, they have their own Twitter avatar and anytime anyone mentions words with friends, someone's talking back to them and talking about it. Oh, good game. You know, people will send screenshots to this Twitter and like put them on TwitPic and they'll be like, Whoa, that was awesome. I can't believe you got 132 points with one play. I mean, they don't need to be selling, right. you know, all they're doing is getting in involved and saying, wow, high five all around. That's awesome. Right. Have fun, right. you know. With right. that intention, people are going to just be curious about it, start talking about it, and play it, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, yeah, it happens organically. And then, B, is there a part at some point where you um, push your message? Like, for us, we've never pushed our message. So, it's always been people coming to us first and saying, hey, I have this event where I need cupcakes. Can you give me a quote? And we're like, yeah, I'll be happy to give you a quote. Right. But we never, like, go and direct message people and be like, by the way, if you're interested in our holiday, you know, our Valentine's Day assortment, click on this link. Like, we would never do that. Do you know right. what I mean? <laughs> like, I just, because I'm the same way. I feel really uncomfortable being, like, a hard seller. So it's like, I don't want to sell to people who don't want to be sold to. If you want to be sold to, you'll come to me, and I will give you the information you need. Right. You know, that's right. sort of the right. way I approach it. Okay, cool. So the last thing is, I don't know if it's the last question, but we'll kind of start wrapping up here a little bit. No, thank um, goodness for everybody listening. Hey, they're enjoying listening to you, I think. To you? Uh, well, maybe because I'm talking to you. Maybe. All right, so do you think that your success with Twitter and Facebook is something that you, so one of your other businesses was like you helped stage houses to mm -hmm. be sold and that kind of 
kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So, do you think that, because um, cupcakes are kind of like, you know, they're fun and they're sweet and they're usually yeah. for parties and events and like, yeah. you know, you have lots of people around each other together, like, oh, these cupcakes are awesome, you can see people like, you know, that being sort of a more viral, like, product, right? Right. So, um, when you look back at the other businesses that you had, uh-huh. do you think that you would have been able to leverage some of these tools as successfully as you have been able to with foiled cupcakes? Do you think that in large part your product has just been the best marketing thing that you have? Or, so I don't know, just kind of riff on that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, so first of all, um, I think we are fortunate to have like any measure of quote-unquote success. Like, I don't even know what that really means. But I think we're fortunate that we have people who um, have supported us to this point that they want to see us succeed. I will, real quick, being interviewed on the Project Idealism podcast, that is the, the definition of success. So now you know that you're there. Oh, Since yeah. you, were, you seem to not Since be. Andrew has blessed <laughs> me with that definition. <laughs> so, anyway, um, what was your question? I was asking you if you felt that for your the other businesses oh, right, that you right, had, right. if you able to leverage the tools in the same way or not at all or different than Right. Well, I think, okay, so, like, I think you're right. Consumer products that are tangible are probably easier. And also, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I will show up anywhere with cupcakes, <laughs> if anyone asks me. But the point is, like, like I, I think of, like, challenges that other businesses have all the time because I think it's fun. Like, stuff that I strategize about in my commute home, I'm like huh, if I were selling, like, a new brand of shoes, how would I leverage social media? And I actually have a good friend um, on Twitter who I've never met before. Um, They're called Kuru Footwear, and they're doing an awesome job launching their entire brand of footwear um, to people using Twitter and Facebook. It's, like, amazing, you know? So I think the key component isn't your product, but it's just talking with people, getting them excited about it, finding those people who are excited about it. Because if you don't find those people who are going to spread the word for you, you're going to be stuck. So um, generating some excitement about it, generating some buzz, getting people to talk. Um, There was a time like when things are really slow for us. And I think it was like last January because it was right after the holidays. And things were pretty slow. And what did we do? We decided to do like... A stupid contest like let's pull three of our followers and see who blips the best you know we so we had like a contest and we did a hashtag blip idol whatever 09 or 2010 or whatever blip idol 09 and then these three contest three contestants and people would vote I mean it was just like a virtual American Idol for blipping you know the best songs and we had like judges who gave their it was so stupid but what happened was people were like, oh, this is fun. It's a fun thing to do. Right. It's community interaction. People got involved. Like, there were, like, 100 people who were listening to all these blips and then voting. And then after that, it was like, okay, well, that was fun. And then the next day, it was like, oh, sales started coming in, you know? Right. So, I mean, I think no matter what your product is, if you can find a way to get people to have fun, the experience of having fun and associating that with your brand is way more valuable than whatever your product is. Sure, I sure. Think. Okay. So, I mean, if you are not a fun brand, quote unquote, you're trying to sell, you know, like debt consolidation or something, you know, <laughs> then, you know, there's got to be a way that you can rally people together and get them like passionate about that, you know, maybe talk about like seminars that you can host about helping people get out of debt and then like, right, you know, right. coming up with a creative contest to make people like think about creative ways to get out of debt, like whatever it is, 
there is a way to get people rallied together and enthusiastic and excited about whatever it is that you're selling, as long as you don't come across as a pushy salesperson who's spamming people on Twitter, you know, and being right. snake oilish. Right. I, there's right. a way to do it. Okay. That's that's my thought. But what do I know? Right. Well, you know a good amount. So now you have a a pretty good size audience. You have a profitable business with mm -hmm. some good revenue, and you're growing, right? Mm -hmm. So. Have you thought about, not to be like, okay, great, you've done that, now what's next kind of thing, but have you thought, so a lot of people that, um, you know, that I pay attention to in the business world, uh, you know, people are writing books and coming, you know, and writing articles for different magazines and that kind of stuff, so have you, have you thought about, um, like, ways in which you can continue to sort of reach out to the audience that you do have and sell other things to them that they might be interested in? In purchasing, or are you kind of just strictly staying focused on, on foil cupcakes right now? Um, I mean, I so so your question's a little bit tricky because we do have a good audience, but I think they're built around cupcakes. I don't think they're built around um, you know any of our thoughts about social media or our business ideas or anything. They're it's built around the fun of foiled cupcakes. Okay, I think so. If I were to start anything ever in the future, I, I don't think that it would be, I would feel comfortable, nor would it be appropriate for me to be like, hey, by the way, I'm starting this new venture, and then like push it to them, because it's like, right. what that audience needs is probably different than our current audience, you know sure. what I mean, depending on whatever sure, the product sure. is, so it's like, you can't sell the same product, uh, you can't sell different products to the same group of people, yeah. I don't really think, um, and so, you know, if I were ever to start something in the future, it would just be like, you know, starting from scratch again and doing the hard work because that's the way you get yeah. credible, you know, brand ambassadors, I guess. Right. Okay. All right. So this will be the last question, but I love asking this to people who have their own businesses. So is there, are there people that you spoke to about your idea back, you know, a couple years ago when you were thinking about it, uh -huh. but before you launched it, that told you you were crazy, it would never work, you didn't, they didn't think you should do it? Or did you pretty much have a lot of support from a lot of people right from the beginning? Um, I had a lot of support from people from the beginning, but I had a lot of cautionary advice. Okay. So a lot okay. of people who are like, oh, you've got to be careful because there are a lot of cupcake companies and you better make sure your cupcakes really taste good or else no one's going to like them. And you better make sure that, you know, you have a really unique niche and you better make sure you're targeting your audience and you get good press. So all this good advice, which I you know, really uh, appreciate, and it came from people who I respect. So it was like a lot of like, you better make sure that, and so that's why it took so long to sort of roll it out and get it all set in place, because I just wanted to make sure it was right, you know, before yeah. we even put it forward, because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always the type of person who's going to like, sort of like, jump the gun and like, just get ahead of myself, if I'm not like, mentally telling myself yeah, to yeah. like, hold back and double check everything, so... So that's, uh, that was a good learning. This is so good. That's great. It's so great. It's great for me to hear that because I'm very much like uh, almost the polar opposite, right? I mean, like if I want to make something, I'm like, whatever, I'll make it and then I'll figure out how to sell it later, right? Right, right. And yeah, so that's, um, yeah, so that's good to hear. Everyone's different. Do it your own way. Whatever works for you, do it your own way. <laughs> whatever makes you happy. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, Mari, thanks again for uh, joining me on the podcast. Thanks, Andrew. I really appreciate it. And, this is uh, one of my most favorite podcast interviews ever. Wow, and that, that means a lot. 
some of the, the main things that I'm taking away from the interview with Mari. And there's a lot of good stuff there, obviously. Um, so I'll probably try to keep it to just uh, two or three here. But one of, the, one of the big things that stuck out to me is Mari talked about how before she even came up with like a name for her company or um, a logo and all that kind of stuff, she really figured out who she was going to be targeting and then built her brand and her product around those people. And I think that's like for me, that was like a huge thing to hear. Um, in part, like I mentioned, that that's just sort of um, almost a little bit the opposite of what I've done in the past. And obviously, that has been hugely beneficial to her. Um, and the other thing is, is that when we had our discussion about selling and how a lot of people are uncomfortable selling, is that I think because she did that, it set her up to be in a position so that her goal wasn't to sell people. It was to get to know them. And once they knew what she did, they were going to want to buy from her. Um, so I think that that, you know, that initial period where she was spending some time thinking about who her market was going to be obviously ended up being really, um, really fruitful for her. So also along those lines, I think it was really, um, just interesting and important the way that she called out that if you're if you have an awesome product and you're solving a problem for somebody that you're not really selling to them so much as you're offering a way that you can help them and for that help they will obviously be willing to pay you a certain number of dollars um but that is that's like a great lesson for me i think it's something that a lot a lot of independent uh, either freelancers or small businesses and entrepreneurs can um, can learn from so another one of the big things that I took away from the interview with Mari is she talked about how her website had to get taken down because she was going through some payment card issues and that kind of stuff. And for six weeks, her site was essentially um, offline while it was being rebuilt. And so what I think is cool about hearing her talk about that is that one thing that she could have done is just been really pissed off and annoyed and not done anything and complained about it and yelled at her developer to work faster and all that kind of stuff. And instead, she took that problem and turned it into an opportunity where for a month and a half, she was able to focus on engaging with the community of people that were going to uh, ultimately end up buying from her. And so she really built up a, uh, a big following. What was initially probably looked at as a big problem and something that was hurting her business and actually ended up being a little bit of a help. So I think it's one of those um, uh, you know, taking a, uh, a problem or a challenge and turning it into uh, a big opportunity. So, uh, again, that was Mari Lewingrath and she's the founder of Foiled Cupcakes and you can check them out at, uh, Foiled, that's F-O-I-L-E-D, cupcakes.com. And, Thanks again uh, to Mari for joining me on the podcast. I really appreciate it. And I will um, be talking with you guys the next time around. So I'm going to really try to stick to my monthly episodes here. And uh, I'll talk to you guys later. Bye.